0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Thank you all for allowing me to be here before you. It's a great honor to be able to speak on, the, on this subject that I've been studying uh, recently, and it's about running your race. Uh, Paul compares the Christian life to many things. Paul compares it to being a soldier, uh, to being a fighter and to being a runner, I tell you right now, I am not a soldier. I am not no fighter, but I've done my fair share of running this past year, and I now see why Paul made the comparison of running and uh, comparison of running to the Christian life. It's because there's a lot of similarities found in each. For instance, we both need to train. We need to practice discipline and self-control. We need to remove obstacles that hinders our training and our race. We must set aside any unnecessary weight. We both need to focus on the mark, focus on the prize, you know, especially when the race gets hard. We all need encouragement. And also the last mile is always the best mile. And when that finish line is finally crossed, we will all receive our prize. So let's take a little deeper look at the runner and at the Christian. First and foremost, if you want to get serious about running, you're going to need a train. A runner needs to develop discipline. You know, choosing to go out for a run instead of staying on the couch watching TV. In a sense, you're doing what you need to do even when you don't feel like it. Also, as a runner, training is a gradual incline. Nobody gets off the couch and goes straight to running marathons or anything like that. You can't reach mile 20 if you can't even get past mile 1. Remember, it all begins with that first mile. A new runner must also start off low and slow, uh, low miles at a relatively slow pace. The runner can't always be, stay at this pace and at these low miles, because they will never grow as a runner. And the same goes for our Christian walk. Paul tells us we need to practice discipline and self-control. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So we need to practice discipline as Christians. We need to be disciplined in our studies. And we must also increase in our knowledge of the word of God. The Hebrew Hebrew writer rebukes the brethren for not increasing in their knowledge. He tells them enough time has passed that y'all ought to be teachers. But yet, y'all are still in need of being taught the very first principles. He goes on to say in Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to to discern both good and evil. The Hebrew writer gives us this illustration of how someone who is in need of milk is still a babe, and how someone who is eating meat is there of full age. But the Hebrew writer was speaking concerning the word of god for those that are babes for those that are new in christ we need the milk right with the subjects that are easily digestible that are easily understood the foundations to a strong christian and it's not until you are a mature christian or of a full age that we are able to discern the tougher subjects or eat strong meat remember we must crawl before we can walk and walk before we can run but know that it's going to require work out of us. It's going to require sacrifice of our time, of the fun things we may like to do. And in Romans 12.1, the Bible tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto, the word, unto, unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As someone who's not a runner, they transform themselves into a runner. The same for the Christian. The Christian transforms himself into a more perfect or more complete Christian by transforming his his mind and renewing his mind. And this means picking up our Bible, listening to a lesson on a podcast, even when we don't feel like doing those things. For the runner is the same. The runner knows that he must go out and run, even when he doesn't feel like it. He must be disciplined in his training. He must also be self-controlled and sacrificing or putting down what he ought not to be doing. I mean, many of us have been there. I've been there. I've, I've said you know what, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read a chapter out of, out of the Bible on my phone, you know, because it's convenient. But next thing you know, I get a notification that says, three easy steps to catch a world record bass this summer, right? And I click on it because I have no self-control. And before you know it, I'm 30 minutes into a video, and I maybe only read a verse or two. As you know, uh, you know what they say, we all have self-control until the chips and salsa come out. We also need to have self-control when it comes to our natural instincts. I mean, for the brawler, he must have self-control when someone insults him. For the covetous, he must have self-control when he sees something that he wants, but does not need or just wants for vanity's sake. For the adulterer, he must have self-control when he sees something inappropriate. And the only way to help develop this discipline and self-control is through the Word of God. Another thing about training and studying is that it's easier to train for something when you have something to train for. When my name isn't on the schedule, I go about my day to day. I don't focus too much on my studies. But as soon as my name is on that schedule, it's all hands on deck. I set time aside to study, to write out a lesson. Remember, it's easier to force yourself to study when you have something to study for. to the Christian and to the runner we have many hindrances as a runner it is easy to lose motivation to be discouraged to run I mean I saw it all the time I saw all these uh, all these elite runners posting how fast they run how far they run and it's easy to get stinky thinking you know I'll never be able to run that fast I'll never be able to run that far why am I even doing this what's the point And this all begins because the runner begins comparing himself to other runners. And not only that, our friends and family may even call us crazy for trying to run a marathon, trying to run 26.2 miles. They might say, you'll never be able to run that far. You know they invented cars. You don't have to go running everywhere, right? And we must remove this hindrance as a runner and as a Christian. There are two main hindrances to the Christian that is other people and ourselves. Paul says in Galatians five seven ye did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the gospel uh, the truth? Paul begins the letter to the Galatians by telling them that he has marveled and even calls them foolish for not believing uh, for believing a different gospel, which goes to show you that other people can be a hindrance to our Christian walk. They can, make us, they can help us to step away, to back off, or even go astray. Paul in Galatians 3.1 says, "O foolish Galatians who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. <clears throat> bewitched here properly means to fascinate or to charm and to not believing the truth. And we see this all the time, these preachers using their charisma to have people not obey the truth, all because they'll scratch their itching ears. I mean, we've all heard it, God wants you to live your best life. You don't have to do anything, just accept Jesus into your heart. But not only these kind of people can hinder us, also our friends and family can hinder our Christian walk. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus wasn't saying that we actually hate our friends and families, but that we love them less. We must love Jesus more than we love these. We must be willing to forsake all our earthly possessions, all our family, friends, uh, brothers, sisters, cousins, whoever, for the love of Jesus. And our family and friends may call us out on it. You know, you're always going to church. Why do you always have to go to Bible studies? Why can't you just hang out with us? But as Paul said, do we seek to please men or do we seek to please God? So we can't let other people be a hindrance to us. And we also can't be our own hindrance. When you're in the middle of a marathon, it's easy to get in your head to start doubting your ability to be able to finish the race. You begin to say to yourself, oh, if I could have just done the 10K, I would have been done an hour ago. If I would have done the half marathon, I would have been, I would have been crossing the finish line right now. What was I thinking? What am I thinking that I could finish a marathon? The Christian can also easily get in his head too, right? But know that doubt is normal. We've all gone through it. We even have people in the Bible who doubted. For example, Abraham and Sarah doubted that they would have, that they would bear a child at such an old age. They even laughed at the idea of that. Moses doubted that the people of Israel would listen to him after he had killed one of his fellow men when he left Egypt. And the list goes on. meaning Many men and women have gone this very road, so know that it is possible. What we can't do is get in our feelings or let our emotions get in our way. If we know the truth, the truth will set us free. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. This is what gets us into trouble. That's our heart. For what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and for what comes out of the heart, Jesus tells us. In Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, witness, false witnesses, and blasphemies. More often than not, we are our own hindrance in our Christian walk. Another hindrance to the Christian is carrying a bunch of extra weight. As a runner, weight is very important. Runners have certain shoes and clothes they wear on race day. I mean, to the runner, every ounce counts. That's how they count how much their clothes weighs. They seek every advantage possible. I mean, a marathon is hard enough, but it's even harder, if not impossible, when you have to lug around a bunch of extra weight. The same is for the Christian. The Hebrew writer tells us, Wherefore, seeing we, are also, we also are a compass, compass about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. For the runner, it is, a Christi- it is material things that weighs him down. For the Christian, it is sin that weighs us down. For the Christian, it means removing all that would ob- obstruct our progress in our Christian course. But note that all Christians don't bear the same weight. Some, for some, it is pride that weighs them down. For others, it may be the worldliness, their uncontrollable temper, their vanity, their covetousness. Whatever it may be, we are commanded to lay it aside, whether it be literally or figuratively. That can literally mean we lay aside our phones. That little device has led and leads to so many sins. Maybe that's what's weighing you down. But regardless of what, may it, what it may be, Paul commands time and time again to put off our old man. Ephesians 4.22, Paul tells us that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Even in Colossians, he tells us the same thing. He says, "Mortify, kill, therefore your members that are upon the earth: fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry." But Paul then tells us that we must put on the new man. In Colossians three ten, he tells us, "And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of, image of Him that created him." In Ephesians 4, 24, he tells us the same, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This new man will be the one that has less obstructions on the Christian course and will be, have a much easier time pressing toward the goal. The runner takes off and is in the middle of the race. Now is time to endure the race all the way to the end. Whether it be a medal, a trophy, a crown, whatever it is, whatever it is that's pushing them to the end, they will endure the race all towards the goal of finishing. The, the runner will push through every cramp. They will even crawl to the finish line if need be. As long as I cross that finish line, no runner has ever said, I think I just go halfway today. The runner must endure the race, the whole race, and press toward the goal. They must be laser-focused on the goal. Paul tells us in Philippians three thirteen 13-14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark the prize of the high calling of God and Jesus Christ. Sorry. Paul here says, I know I haven't reached the goal yet, but I know that I need to forget those things which are behind me and reach for that thing that is before me. Right? He has the goal in mind. The mark here properly means uh, an object or a distance that one sets his sight on. For example, an archer sets his sight, sets his mark on the bullseye of a target. The runner sets his mark on the finish line. The Christian sets his mark on heaven. But know that it's going to require patience, (coughs) perseverance, endurance. As we read in Hebrews 12 on, um, it says, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. When talking about patience, we often think of Job. I mean, Job was a man who had everything. He had the family, the land, the servants, the honor, and most importantly, the commendation of God. God called Job perfect and upright. So in a test of Job, God allowed Satan to strip Job of everything. And one by one, Job began losing his family, his land, his servants, And even his health. I mean, everyone turned against him. His wife turned against him, said, why don't you just curse God and die? His three useless friends uh, tell him that this is all his fault. He is the one. It is all his fault that this is happening. And while refuting his friends' arguments and holding on to his faith, God eventually restored everything to Job twofold, the Bible says. Job endured and received God's blessing. And another example of pressing toward the goal is the very person who wrote uh, half of the New Testament, and that is Paul. I mean, look at everything Paul had to persevere through for the sake of the gospel. And it amazes me that everything he went through, he was still able to call it a light affliction. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, the Bible says, or just the verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul knew everything that he was going through was working towards the treasure in heaven. He may have called it a light affliction, but nothing he went through was a light affliction. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us everything he went through. He said he was... uh, he, was, he received stripes 50, uh, five times. He was beat with rod three times. He was stoned once. Three times he suffered shipwrecked. He spent a day out in the ocean. He was always in constant danger. Paul did this because he was focused on the things he could not see, those eternal things. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul and Job are two great examples of persevering and pressing toward the mark. They showed us that we can do it too. And they will be witnesses when we endure this this life. As a runner, you want Everyone you know there, you invite your family, friends, your co-workers, teammates, you might even invite some random people off the street just to come watch you race. Why is this? Because you want the people to see you, you want people to witness you accomplishing this feat. I mean, you want your family cheering for you along the race. You know, when the race gets tough, it's great to have that support. Or when we cross that finish line, we want our family and friends congratulating us, hugging us, giving us high fives, telling us good job. And we have the same thing. In Hebrews 12.1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The phrase a cloud of witnesses means many witnesses. A number so great that it appears to be a cloud. That's who we are surrounded by, a great multitude of witnesses. All those who have run this race before us, Abraham, Moses, Paul, David, Job, Peter, all the disciples, they are there. They are there for our our example. They are proof that faith works. In Hebrews 11, it tells us about all these faithful men and women who endured the Christian um, the, the the faithful life, and the best part is we'll also be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That is the Lord's church today. Remember, we are here to encourage one another. First Thessalonians five eleven. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. We are also commanded to love one another. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And re- remember, we must also pray for one another. James five sixteen confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. <clears throat> so remember, we are not in this race alone. We all want to see each other succeed in this Christian walk. Eventually, this race will, near to, will come to an end. And when the runner thinks of the end, they think of a joyous relief. No marathon runner ever comes to 26 miles and says, oh, man, I wish I could just go another 26 more. This is just so much fun. No, the marathon runner comes to 26 miles and says, oh, I only need .2 miles to go until I'm done with this race. I mean, it is no secret that this race that we call life will eventually end. And that's a scary thought to think about, right? Because we'll be leaving behind our friends, our family, our spouse, children, our grandchildren, or whoever. And that should make us sad. But death should not scare us. Paul had this to say about his nearing death. Um, and 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7. For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. To those who have been faithful, those who love God, death should not be something to dread. When it comes to that last mile of the marathon, the runner, he wants, he wants rest. He wants the pain to stop. He wants food. He wants water. Paul saw his... Paul saw his death as a departure from every temporary bondage he had on this earth. We're even told that Paul had a thorn in the, f- uh, thorn in the flesh. We aren't told exactly what it was, but we are told that Paul prayed three times that, that God, if God would remove it. But the Lord said that God's strength is made perfect in Paul's weaknesses. Paul also saw his departing as going from one place to another. It was not just the end, and that is it. He saw it as leaving the troubles of this world to the rest in his father Abraham, for the mortality of this world to the immortality in the next. Paul was able to look back at his life and say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. Now, one thing only awaits him on that final day, and that is his crown of righteousness. One of the main reasons runners run is for the trophy, for the medal, for the crown. Every runner who sets off on a race, they know that there will be something awaiting for them, awaiting them at the end. And as they receive their medal, they will look back at the race. Think back of everything they had to go through to receive that medal. They'll think about every hill they had to climb, every cramp they went through, every doubt that crept into their mind. And they're excited about it. They rejoice with they rejoice about receiving this medal. They might even wear it the rest of the day just to show it off. While these people endure for a corruptible Crown a corruptible prize we run for a incorruptible crown right first uh, corinthians nine twenty five the Bible says, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, but they do they do it to obtain a corruptible, corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible there is no greater feeling than receiving your medal after finishing a race, but Paul says this medal that they receive is a metal that, will, that can and will rust away. It is a metal that can and eventually will be stolen. But Jesus tells us we have something waiting for us in heaven that, that cannot happen to. In Matthew 6, 20, he tells, uh, Jesus tells us, But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Paul tells us that there is a crown waiting for him when, he gets, when, he's, when he's done. But not only to him, also for us. In 2 Timothy 4.8, the Bible says, "...Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but, to, but unto all them also that love his appearing." As awesome as it felt to receive my medal after running a marathon i can't even begin to express or describe the feeling as the righteous judge our lord places a crown upon my head as i look over and i see all my brothers and sisters in this room receiving your crown as we look back on our lives and think about all think of all the trials we had to go through all the hardships all the pain the suffering the sadness the temptations we endure during this life. And as easy as it may have been to just give it up and just turn around and quit, we, f- we stayed the course. <clears throat> Why? Because the Lord has promised us a crown of life. And know that the Lord is faithful in His promise. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The end of the Christian race, this Christian life, will be great for those who strive for the prize, who endure the race, who press toward the goal and finish the course. But unfortunately, it will not be great for everyone. There are three kinds of runners in every race. There are those that finish the course. There, were, there are those that DNF did not finish. There are also those that did not, uh, DNS did not start. The good news for these that DNF and DNS on a race is that they have another chance to race again. Unfortunately for us, we do not have another chance. When this life, what, what Paul calls this Christian race is over, that is it. Hebrews 9.27, And is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And at that judgment, we'll have to answer for everything. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, all... I say all this to say this, the same will be at the end of life. There will be those who finish the course, who finish the Christian life. For example, as we spoke about Paul, he finished the course. But there will also be those that begin the Christian life but never finish. We have an account of Demas who turned away from the faith, who turned away from Paul. In 2 Timothy 4.10, the Bible says for Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, he is departed unto Thessalonica. Now we don't know what exactly is meant when it is said he loved this present world, but there are a couple things that it could be. One, Christians during those times were heavily persecuted, and it was just safer to not be a Christian. Or two, he actually loved this present world for all its pleasures. The Bible says that it would be better; it would have been better for him to have not known the way than to have known and turned away. Second Peter two twenty one. The Bible says, for it had been better for them to, for it had been better, for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Why? Why is it better for them to have never known? It's because they knew what they would be expecting at the end, and that was heaven. But now they'll be in Hades knowing everything they could have had if they would have finished the course. They'll have to spend eternity dwelling on that fact. Think of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. After the rich man and Lazarus both die, they both they, uh. Lazarus went off to be with Abraham in a place of comfort, and the rich man went off to be in a place of torment. And when the rich man saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, he cried out to Abraham, Send Lazarus that he may dip his his finger in the water and cool my tongue. But Abraham told the rich man, Remember, son, remember, child, that in your life you receive the good things and Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented, which goes to show you that we will have our memories when we die. And when we look back, will we think about all the adversity we had to go through to finish the course, or will we regret all the things we could have and should have done in order to finish the course? There will also be the person who never becomes a Christian. The account of King Agrippa in Acts 26, Paul appears before Agrippa. He tells him of his testimony. He tells him of his conversion. He preaches to him the gospel. But at the very end, Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And like King Agrippa, there are many people who are almost persuaded to be Christians, but for so many reasons are deterred. It could be the love of sin, the fear of shame and persecution of being a Christian, the temptations of this world may have just been too great. But know for certain, there is no salvation found for the almost Christian. As sad as, sad as it is to say, there are many who are brought to this point, but for whatever reason, never go through with it. Unfortunately, they will die in their sins, for we have all sinned and all sin leads to death. Romans 6:23 for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can begin your race today. Know that is not too late. In Matthew 20, Jesus tells us of a parable of the laborers in the vineyard. He tells us that a house uh, that an owner of a field goes Out early in the morning and hire some men to go out in his field to work and they agree upon a penny for the day the owner goes out to the marketplace at around nine o'clock in the morning and he sees some men standing around and he asks and he tells them if you would just go to my vineyard I will pay you rightly what you ought to be paid so they go out to the vineyard and they and they work the owner goes out again at 12 and three o'clock and hires some more men, and they go to the vineyard and go to work. It comes close to the end of the day. It is five o'clock. The owner finds some men standing around, uh, around in the marketplace, and he asked them, why have y'all been standing here all day doing nothing? And they tell him, no man would hire us. The owner told him, go work in my vineyard and I will pay you rightly. The owner tells the boss to get around uh, to gather all the men so he can pay them. So the men that got hired at 5 o'clock, they received the one penny. And when the men who were hired at the very beginning of the day saw this, they thought that they would be paid more because they had been working longer. But it turns out every man received the one penny. And they were upset. I mean, rightly so, they had worked all day. They had been working in the hot sun, while these men who just showed up and worked for an hour received the same pay that they did. And the owner said, we agreed upon a penny for the day, so take your money and go. The owner said, I want to give the man who was hired last the same pay I gave you. I can do what I want with my money. So remember, it doesn't matter when we enter this Christian race as long as we enter. We will all receive the prize of the high calling of God. Remember, tomorrow isn't promised. As a young person, it is easy to get in our heads and think that I have all the time in the world. But we don't. Proverbs 27.1 tells us, Do not boast about tomorrow, for we do not know what the day may bring. We will all receive the same prize if we come if we begin our race today. But it all begins by believing in Jesus. Mark 1:15 and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand repent ye and believe the gospel. We must believe the death, burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We must also repent of our sins. Luke 13, three, I tell you nay, but except you repent and ye shall all likewise perish. We must turn away from our sins. We must also confess Jesus. Mark sixteen sixteen. and Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. We must confess our faith in Christ we must also go through in baptism. Acts 2, 38, after Peter gave the message at Pentecost, the Bible says then, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So after we've been forgiven of our sins, after we have been saved, after we have come into Christ, we must live faithfully unto Christ. So let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We will sing a song of invitation here in a moment, and this is for you. If you need help from our brothers and sisters, if you need prayers or you have any spiritual need, come to the front row and let your request be made known as we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.